Welcome to the Sogro Marketing Council podcast. The Sogro Marketing Council is a membership organization comprised of growing marketers who want to stay ahead of developments in multiple areas of marketing. This podcast features recordings of Sogro Marketing Council meetings. Tune in to hear expert marketers share tips and discuss the latest strategies and tools in marketing. To join the next meeting and be part of the discussion yourself, visit SoGrowPR.com. That's S-O-W-G-R-O-W-P-R.com and click on the Marketing Council tab. Let's get growing. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the SoGrow Marketing Council meeting. I am so excited to have you guys here today. I look forward to this every month. And the SoGrow Marketing Council is a membership organization for executive level marketers. And we get together once a month and we share tips on our particular marketing disciplines. And then we also help each other in various different ways. So as marketers, sometimes we need different vendors and different services. Maybe there's an area where we cover a certain service and our client is asking for something else. This allows us to be able to make those connections for people and then also to share business. If a client needs graphic design, they probably need communications and they probably need marketing strategy and sales. And so a lot of us work with very similar clients and so we're able to share business. So how the meeting works is we will have certain guests that are featured experts and people that have submitted tips. They will have four minutes to share a marketing tip in their particular marketing discipline. And this is not a commercial, this is not gonna be self-promotional but these tips are gonna be educational and informational. And they have four minutes to share a tip. And then we have one minute to just ask questions or if you have a comment after, just to have a little bit of discussion before the topic passes. So as you share your tip, please be sure to say your name and your company, especially for the people that are listening on the podcast, since they won't be able to see your face or see your name on the Zoom, um, on the Zoom platform. So we'll um, be able to, you'll be able to introduce yourself with that. And then I will put the order of the people sharing tips in the chat. That way you guys know who's going to share first. And we had a couple people that I got messages from this morning that we're going to share. And then they ended up not being able to attend today or um, they're in the car driving. So we'll start with Kristen. And then um, Yana Tori, if she pops on, I haven't seen her yet. Um, and then Scott, Justin, Stephanie, and then I'll share a tip today. And then if we have time and if somebody else has a tip, then we can do that as well. And then what I also like to do before we get too far into it is I love to take a screenshot just so that way we can remember who is here. And then we also like to promote it on social media as well to say, look at how much fun we had. We're, we're having such a great time, but I want to give you guys a heads up so I don't just take screenshots where everybody's making faces and closing eyes and all of those things. So I will count to three and we'll do a quick screenshot and everybody smile. All right, one, two, three, smile. All right, and we'll do one more because everyone smile. I still get somebody who closes their eyes and it's okay. No problem, but we'll do it one more time. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Awesome, good deal. Okay, and then if you all would like to become a member of the Sogro Marketing Council, there are some additional benefits. So if you attend as a guest, you can come and you can listen and you can observe. And if you become a member, you get extra priority in being able to share. We have members share before we have guests share. And then we also have some different opportunities 
um, to network because we have a member's database on the back end of the website. So you get a login, you can set up a member's profile. So if there's somebody that you are interested in getting to know on the Zoom meeting and you think, man, I'd really like to follow up with them, you can go onto the member database, look up their information and then reach out to them there. And then you can also comment on forum posts as a member. And we post the full videos from the Zoom meetings on the Sogra Marketing Council membership side. So that way, if you even wanted to download the video and take your particular tip, post it on LinkedIn and promote it as, hey, I was featured as a guest on this meeting. That's a great way to just have easy content for your blog, your social media accounts, whatever it might be. Um, and then we also have a speaker opportunity database. So you can go in there and look and see what upcoming speaking opportunities there are for you and your clients. And then we do select people that we get to know, we build relationships with, and we see their expertise. And then we hand select those people as our featured experts. And those people have a specific topic that they will talk on. So like Kristen is our graphic design featured expert. Yana Tori is our email marketing featured expert. And so we were looking for people in those different areas and then those are the people that get priority to submit tips and present. If you would like to submit a tip, just even as a guest, then you can go onto the Sogro Marketing Council website. So it's sogropr.com and that's S-O-W-G-R-O-W-P-R.com and then backslash marketing council. You can find all the tabs there. You can submit your tip and then we'll review those tips and then we select the, the best tips to present. And then all the best tips are featured on the Sober Marketing Council podcast and the YouTube channel. So if you've missed any of those, go back and subscribe. You can listen to past episodes and catch up on all of those great tips. And then we meet the third Tuesday of every month. So the next meeting is July 20th. So be sure to sign up for that and attend that as well. So is there anything that I missed, Sarah? You missed anything? I'm good. Okay. All right, Sarah, would you like to, or I'm sorry, um, Kristen, would you like to start us off today and share a tip? Sure, I'd be happy to. Great. And um, let me see, do you, if you need to share a screen. I don't today. Okay, great. Hello, everybody. My name is Kristen Sellier, and I am the founder and president of ID8 Agency. We are a branding specialist and work with a lot of manufacturers. So I've been listening to Stephanie talk about research, 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 and everything that she does. And so something that's really important to our customers um, are statistics. Like, hey, I really want to know if making this design change is going to impact my business. So I did some digging on stats and I found all these great websites with stats, but then I didn't really read the stat. I wanted to go to the source of the stat. And then I kept going to another source, another source, another source, and getting back to the actual where the true statistics came from. So I'm going to read. So these all do actually have real, they really are a stat. And it really was done in a research lab. And I have found the actual uh, format of the, the beginning of where the research came from. What's interesting is a lot of this research that I found was done between 2000 and 2010. And it's getting reused and reused and reused online in everyone's blog. And, but the content is relevant. So I'm, you know, my question is, can we do some more research now? And I think that'd be really important for all of us. And, you know, it's gotten me thinking, but I did want to read the stats that I found and I'll post this so you have it. Um, but number one is color increases brand recognition by up to 
The source is University of Loyola, a Maryland study, and I've got all the research to back that up. So you'll see that a lot of brands are using color. So Home Depot, great example. Orange, you know, you know the color. Starbucks, everybody knows that color. It's black. No, I'm just kidding. It's green. Everybody knows Coca-Cola is red. And so the successful brands are identifying with one single color because it's easy for people to remember. They see orange and they think Home Depot. Second one is 90% of information transmitted to the brain is visual. And uh, this is MIT uh, news in the blink of an eye. That's where the source came from. Uh, so it's actually scientific that people are able to process things really quickly. Um, I have another meeting and people keep pinging me and I've been trying to figure out how to turn off the dinging. So I apologize. It's this 20 people in a meeting keep dinging me. So 90% of information transmitted to the brain is visual. So people can process pictures and images quicker than they can process text. The third one is the human brain processes images 60,000 times faster than text. That source is um, micrc.ume.edu. They're all education sources. Working paper series called Persuasion in the Role of Visual Presentation Support. It's the UM3M study from 1986. People are still using that stat today in new blogs. Let's look at this new stat in 2021. It's from 1986. So um, the fourth one, 95% of B2B buyers said that they wanted shorter and highly visual contents. This comes from the demand gen report. Um, and there is some, there is a better source down below. I have a very long document where I had to do all the source finding, but I thought that was interesting. Um, the fifth one, research reveals people make a subconscious judgment about a person, environment, or product within 90 seconds of initial viewing, and that between 62% and 90% of that assessment is based on color alone. This is from CCI Color Institute of Color Research. So again, this supports the why people will select a color and how they'll base a lot of their decisions on you know, what they think about that color. The fifth one, when asked to approximate the importance of color when buying products, 84.7% of the total respondents think that color accounts for more than half among the various factors important for choosing products. This is from uh, the Secretariat of the Seoul International, that's S-E-O-U-L, International Color Expo in 2004. And then the seventh one, this is the last one. Most adults around the world will trade money or personal data for a better customer experience. This comes from the Harris Poll, which is a, a, um, a credible research, research um, group that does a lot of this background research. So I just thought that you guys might want the stats to be able to use in your own marketing and it might be helpful. Thank you so much, Kristen. And I so appreciate that. And that's one thing that we talk about in the template is to add sources because I have done that where I've tried to dig to find the source and I cannot find it. And so it is not true <laughs> if all these people are repeating it and you cannot find the original source because it could have gotten either lost along the way. So that's super helpful. Um, I had a quick question about that. So in terms of color, like Home Depot's orange and we all know Home Depot's orange and Starbucks is green. I was wondering if there's a trend towards multiple colors instead of a single color because so many of the iconic colors are taken and it's hard to, build a brand around that when, oh, well, that's Home Depot's color. That's such and such's color. So do you feel like combinations of colors that are unique are becoming a little bit more important or is it still just that single color of identification that, that matters? 
It's still the primary. There should always be one primary and you can have a secondary, but I would always recommend to rely on one primary color okay. and then the rest support that color. But yeah. Awesome. Good to know. Good to know. Anybody else have questions or thoughts for Kristen? That was a great tip. Yeah, I love it. I would love a link to those stats, uh, Kristen. Yeah, I will put it up on the forum after the call. It's a very lengthy document, so. <laughs> so helpful. Awesome. Thank you. Great. Well, I saw that Yana Tori logged on. Hi, Yana Tori. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I had a hard time with Zoom today, so updates right before Zoom calls. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're glad you could join us. Yana is joining us from Netherlands. Are you... Is that where you are today? I know you travel yeah. a lot, so I always ask. I'm like, what part of the world is Yamatori in today? <laughs> well, with COVID, it's a little bit harder, but I will be in Canada tomorrow. So there you uh, see. I knew. I knew you'd be traveling. <laughs> uh, did you want to share a tip today? Yes, um, definitely do. Uh, so I'm Yamatori. I'm an email and deliverability specialist. So my job is to ensure that the emails people send out actually get received by the inboxes. It's a misconception. People believe if an email address exists or I'm a business sending emails, that everyone's going to receive them. So this month or the last couple of uh, weeks and days, um, the big talk in the email world is all about the changes Apple um, is gonna be implementing. Uh, so they're coming up with this new privacy thing where if you're sending any emails to Apple, uh, customers, they might not return any tracking information back. And now everybody is freaking out because like, how will I be able to do better strategies if I don't have any opens or clicks? So. First, most, most of us uh, in our lists, uh, we don't have that many Apple people. So we don't really have to worry that much. People are receiving the email though. And as a deliverability specialist, um, opens and clicks um, have said this uh, in the past, but just for people who haven't heard it, um, can be skewed. So spam filters can open and click emails. So a lot of the percentages you might see uh, are not actual humans opening them. Uh, it's, it's just a computer. So we shouldn't be stressed because those opens and clicks uh, were already a little bit skewed. And the most important thing when it comes to email marketing is the goal of the email. So if the email's goal is to get people on the website or get people to buy something, opens and clicks um, are not gonna change anything. Um, so it's very, very important to start thinking ahead and because Apple's the first one to do it, but they're not gonna be the last ones. Um, to start finding ways to track how your email marketing program is working without just using opens and clicks. Uh, in the past, because they're not that reliable, um, a lot of people might be doing bad business decisions, not because uh, the logic is wrong, just because the data they're making those decisions with is a little bit skewed. And um, it's very important right now to kind of uh, come up with different ways. And the easiest way would be to have uh, Google Analytics integrated in the URLs uh, of any emails. You don't need the integration uh, with MailChimp or FlowMailer or CakeMail. You just copy paste uh, the UTM information and add it directly in the link. That will give you more precise data on who's actually clicking the link. And if you realize Google Analytics that all of them are being opened in California from the Google Center, I can probably assume that all those people are not living in California inside the data center. Um, and you can um, block them directly from Google Analytics. Um, I'm a little bit happy that this is happening because it's going to force all the non-email gigs to look at more data, like bounces um, and bounce types, to look at 
the customer journey outside of the email. The purpose of the email is to let people know you exist, to set a message and to get them to do something. And that's what everyone should be focusing on, not getting those open rates open. If you have a 100% open rate and no one's buying your product, your email marketing is not working, right? Um, so it's very important to keep that in mind and to just think outside the regular percentages. 30% open rates doesn't mean anything if your business is not making money or profiting from the messages and communications you're sending. It's a very simple um, tip today, but uh, it's important to start now because uh, later on, it might be too late and you might have a couple of campaigns sent out and you're not really sure uh, who's opening, who's clicking and what people are doing. So we need to start looking at different ways to communicate with people and collect data to make better decisions. I spoke really fast. Hello. That was, that was so great though. So I much So helpful. So helpful. I feel like everybody in marketing has email in their world somehow. Like we're all touching email. There's always some component of email. And so for us to just be able to understand email better is so helpful. It's awesome. Thank you, Yana Tori. Any questions or thoughts for Yana Tori? That was a great tip. Can so you Yana... Go ahead. Hi, Justin. Hi. Oh, uh, just, can you go ahead and ex explain again what Apple's doing uh, at a high oh, level okay. uh, to filter out, uh, I believe the filter out, um, the tracking pixel. So, so when you send out an email, the way that the uh, CakeMail and uh, these companies are able to track this information for you is that there's a tracking pixel inside the email, and the tracking pixel is literally a empty little pixel. And the moment that the you open an email, Google or Yahoo has to download that pixel, and when they download it, we can track it uh, on the the software side. So what um, Apple is doing is that they're gonna be blocking that uh, from being downloaded or being opened. So we won't get the information that this email is being opened, which is already the case with most Microsoft businesses actually. So when you have, you know, like, um, I don't know if you guys still use Microsoft 1954 where like the images need to be downloaded manually. Um, a lot of businesses don't realize that when you do send emails out to like the, like the business side of Microsoft, not the hotmails, but the business side of Microsoft, uh, that data is already not being captured by, by your system if people don't click on download all images. So what Apple is doing is uh, blocking that. And if you can block it yourself in the settings and then Apple will not download that tracking pixel anymore. So therefore, CakeMail and MailChimp will not know. And uh, they're not the only ones that are thinking of doing this with all the laws that are coming out. It's privacy is gonna become more and more important. So think of it like as the cookies of, of emails where you like, you know what? I don't wanna accept any cookies. and it gives more power to the people. So we need to figure out other ways to get people to do stuff. So instead of just thinking about open rates, to get them really on the website and get them to do something else, um, which is what all businesses want anyways. Cool, thank you. I have a second question. You said if there's a 30% open rate, it really doesn't matter if they're not profitable. So we are dealing with product companies and many times we'll bring up email marketing and they're like, oh, email marketing doesn't work. And but I believe that it does. Do you have yeah. any data or that you can supply to help support that? Yes, definitely. I can get, I can definitely send you um, the, the quickest one you can find on the internet right now publicly is the AOL Verizon. They have a, a graph where they're telling you how many of those opens and clicks are actually true. And throughout the years, that amount has significantly gone down. So you have 30%, you barely have a good 10% that actually opened it. And the reason is that people have 
not bad deliverability, but they don't have a great online reputation. And it works just like credit scores. Everybody's domain, everybody's sending infrastructure uh, has kind of this reputation and the inboxes will just deny emails landing in. And that's where I come in and make some money. Um, and where when customers tell me that email doesn't work, sometimes just doing a C test to see, um, it's the test where you send emails and the, it tells you where it lands in the inbox or nowhere at all. And that might prove to your customers that email does work, just no one got it. Okay. And that's the biggest, the biggest problem in email. We, we think about colors and marketing and content, and we never worry about the technical aspect. Did people actually receive the message? So deliverability, if you guys want to Google it and fall down into rabbit hole, very interesting topic. <laughs> Thank you. Anytime. That's a great point. The email could be as beautiful as you can make it and nobody sees it. <laughs> that's yeah. not helpful. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Anatoly. I so appreciate your insight on email marketing. I always feel like it's just good for all of us to hear that. Um, all right, Scott, would you like to share a tip today? We would, and I have something to share, so I'm going to click on that. So good morning, everyone. My name, let me just, okay. My name is Scott Siegel. I am the founder of Beacon Sales Advisors. And what I do is I act as a outsourced or fractional vice president of sales. One of the biggest questions business owners have is how do I compensate my sales team? So what I wanna share with everyone are three tips to make sure that you properly compensate your sales team. Number one, the right mix is a, 50, is a mix of 50% base and 50% compensation. What we have found is that only 19% of business owners have the right salary mix. Number two, how often do you change your sales reps compensation plan? The answer is, uh, the, answer is the beginning of every year. And only 30% of business owners actually do that. It is all about consistency and communication. And the third tip is make sure you have your sales rep sign their compensation plan. And believe it or not, only 46% of business owners have their sales rep sign their compensation plan. That means 54% don't. To be successful and to successfully scale your company, you want to build a sales compensation plan that is a win-win for everyone in the organization. You want to build a sales compensation plan that can be exploited by your sales team, but make sure it has a 50% base, 50% commission. You can go in and readjust it at the beginning of every year. And as importantly, make sure everyone signs it so everyone is aligned. So those are my sales tips on how to build a successful sales compensation plan. That's great, Scott. So when you say go back at the beginning of every year and evaluate that, are you talking about changing the number or the ratio 50-50 depending upon what the situation is? Or are you just talking about changing other things? Yeah, so you always want to keep it 50-50. So in any given year, let's say that you have hunters and farmers on your sales team or you're launching a new product. You might want to change the commission structure to be more heavily weighed on launching that new product. So you can go in and change it between your current business and your new business. So that's one example where you might change it. That makes sense. That's great. Does anybody else have thoughts or questions for Scott? 
Um, Scott, yeah, I'm I'm starting a salesperson, and so at, at like let's say I'm paying them fifty thousand dollars, and they make a commission of a hundred thousand dollars in the first year. What do we do at the end of year one? So what you would what you would need to do the, the way to build a compensation structure is make sure you are aligning it to what your company's growth objectives are for the year. Okay. That's the first thing you've got to do is make sure you do that. And then depending on what you what activities you want them to focus on, what you want them to sell, you can make that adjustment. Um, but I would always make sure that it's a 50-50 mix between base and commission. Okay. So are you can people hire you by the hour or by the project for that kind of consultation work? Uh, yes, if you needed help, I'd be, yeah, we can help you with that. Yes. Thank you. Great tip, Scott. That's so helpful. I feel like, again, email and sales are kind of the things that impact all marketers. <laughs> so it's so good to just understand. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's keeping it consi consistent. And Stephanie Phillips has heard me say this a lot. And it's keeping it simple, right? Align where you want to go as an organization. Make sure everybody knows what's happening. Have visibility and make sure that you communicate, which ties into marketing too. Communication is so important. Awesome. Thank you, Scott. I just remember something that I forgot to say at the beginning is that Sarah is timing. I know you guys have done this so much that you guys are just right on with four minutes, but if you do hear a little timer, you know, Sarah will, will let you know. So just FYI, I forgot to mention that at the beginning. Um, Justin, did you want to share a tip today and introduce yourself? Sure. Yeah. Let me uh, just share my screen. Y'all see it? We see a white screen. You see a white screen. Uh, try again. How about now? Works. Okay. Hopefully that wasn't part of my four minutes, but no, you're good. Uh, <laughs> hey, y'all. Uh, I'm my name is Justin Rubner. I'm the director of brand and content at User IQ. We're a venture-backed uh, tech company uh, in the customer success space. So we have software for uh, customer success people. Uh, we help you figure out what people are doing inside of your app and and um, how they're using your your app. Uh, but what I wanted to talk to you about today was uh, employee advocacy. So. Um, as marketers, we have a ton of channels at our disposal. We have social media, we have advertising, email, uh, et cetera. But you, you, know, you have employees in your company who are potentially untapped vehicles for you to get your message out. And I think instinctively we all know this, but um, do you actually have a, a plan and a program designed around that? And we've seen tremendous uh, lift uh, in our brand uh, as well as our reach uh, through tapping uh, our uh, employees. So basically what this is, is here's an example of content here. This is a, a part of an infographic here. And here is what one person's share of this content. Um, he happens to be our CEO, but he, he reached uh, 500 people with, with one share um, 
engaged uh, 39 engagements, uh, 25 clicks of the infographic, uh, as well as likes uh, and comments, uh, which we all know comments is, is very difficult to get on social media. So you multiply this times 45, 90, 150 employees, whatever you have, and you can start to see how this becomes uh, exponential. Uh, uh, how it how it reaches your your marketing exponentially for basically for free, uh, and I I'll be honest with you I was I was kind of blown away by how um, how big of an effect this had in our marketing stack here and our in our marketing channels, and we've we've used it uh, quite extensively uh, here. Um, here you can see these are these are posts that people have shared. Uh, and each one of these is an individual. And these are our top nine sharers at our, at our companies, at our company. And you can see um, how many likes they've had, how many clicks they've had. But, you know, most importantly, um, we've had 24 conversions uh, from the top nine employees sharing, sharing our content. Um, these are followers of our brand on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, et cetera. And as you'll see in a second, this has been the majority of our social media uh, output here has been the, the advocacy channel. And then uh, engagement by channel, 71% uh, of our social media has been through basically our employees, which is, which is free. So we put the message out and um, the majority of our engagement on social media has not been through advertising and hasn't been through organic social on our on our company's channel, but they've literally been through uh, employees sharing our message. And um, yeah, so we, we use a platform for this. Um, and uh, there's lots of social media platforms will have a, an advocacy component. But if, if you have employees who are engaged with your brand and, and want to get your employees more engaged, uh, I'd highly consider you uh, highly recommend that you guys consider um, trying to put this into your mix. That is so good, Justin. This is, this is really inspiring. <laughs> I think this is really helpful. Does anybody else have some thoughts or questions for Justin? I, think I just love this too. Like from a social media perspective, I mean, we constantly have clients, especially in the B2B space where it's harder to you know, get that excitement and enthusiasm and passion, the employees is completely untapped. I mean, they think, oh, just make the content and make it grow. Employees are like, especially if it's a company, 50, 100 people, 150 people that you can recruit them. I mean, just pick, like you said, pick 25 ambassadors from your company and you're gonna get so much from that. And then it's also got the word of mouth, it's got legitimacy because it's, you know, firsthand experience, people, you know, saying the brand is great and, and that type of thing. I, I just love this. This is awesome. Yeah, I, I never really, I'd heard of employee advocacy and I knew it was a thing, but to actually have a platform catered towards it, um, I was kind of surprised at how well it actually performed. And it's kind of a no duh if you're a marketer, it's like, the only cost really is the platform itself and you're going to be putting out content and you're going to be on social anyways if you're a marketer and mm -hmm. why not uh chapter employees to do this for you for free and i'll be honest with you like my problem right now is we have co-workers 
and executives at our company that become very critical of our content. And they're like, well, why do you use this image? Why do you use this headline, right? And what a great problem to have, right? To be people criticizing your, your creative uh, that you're putting out uh, because it shows that people, that your employees are getting uh, really proud of, of where they work and proud of the brand. And when you get, when, when their people are giving you recommendations and things, that's a, that's a great problem to have because trust me, other places I've worked, uh, coworkers don't care at all about that kind of thing. So what is your strategy for getting people to post content? How formal of a strategy do you have in terms of inspiring people to actually put this out? How do you get them to do that? Good. Who was that? I couldn't see who was talking. Sorry, that was Stephanie Richards. Hey, Stephanie. Um, so we have our, the platform we use is, is called Octopost with a K. Um, and we've been pretty happy with it. There are, there are other platforms uh, out there. I encourage you to look at them um, and some plat some social media platforms actually have a advocacy uh, add-on uh, to, to what they offer. Uh, but what we do, what it does, it, it, it makes it seamless. So you, you know, if you guys are on Slack, for example, you can get on your general channel or whatever and, and say, hey, you know, we, we, we have, you know, why, why don't you be a, a, an advocate for us and um, we'll sign you up. Uh, an email gets sent automatically uh, as well as via Slack. So it's very seamless for them. They'll see the piece of content pop up. And if they want to, they can change the intro themselves. We encourage that so that each one is unique. Honestly, a lot of people just share it the way it is. I, um, but they, they, can they can change the, the intro if they like. And uh, we recently started offering incentives uh, and competition for people outside of sales and marketing. So let's face it, if you're in sales or marketing, you need to be doing this, For it, it's for your own good. But if you're in other departments, we, we have offered incentives for the top uh, person with a top engagement, um, You know, a $50 gift card, a $100 gift card, whatever you wanna do, you could be you know, more creative than that even. Uh, but incentives and then seamless sharing are the two ways that we do that. That's great, that's so wonderful. Any other thoughts or questions for Justin? Uh, just one. So Justin, what, what is the ideal size company this would work? I think you mentioned 15 to 50. Could it work for any size company or what? Would any size company. We, uh, we have a 40 person com uh, company. We are a, we are a tech startup um, and it works great for us uh, out of our 40 plus employees. Uh, we have 30 advocates. So well over half of our employee base, our advocates, and probably about close to 20 are our regular uh, posters. So I would say that 50% of our company um, are regular posters of our content. Um, I, I would imagine that this would work for a large company as well um, and in multiple uh, industries, but um, you have to have a good brand first. So if people are proud of your brand and you have um, you know, good brand identity and you, and you, and you're putting out good content. Here's the thing. You got to put out good content because people aren't going to want to embarrass themselves with bad content. So that's probably the most important thing, but I don't, I don't really think it matters what size company you have. Thank you. So true. Great tip. Um, Stephanie, did you want to share your tip now and introduce yourself? Oh, you're still on mute, Stephanie. 
Thank you. All these things. Hey guys, I'm Stephanie Phillips with Geiger and I help companies promote their brand through the effective use of promotional products. Um, I also focus on incentives and uh, anything that helps employees be motivated. So today, normally I'm a, a happy person, but, um, and I'm sure y'all have been seeing it in the news if you haven't been in, um, uh, uh, impacted yourselves, which you will be. My industry right now is in the midst of a um, perfect storm. And that meaning uh, we're experiencing severe problems with ocean and transportation logistics. So anything that is, is, in, is made in China or any other uh, country, we're having problems getting it from there to here. Um, now with that, why is that? Well, we have a shortage of containers. We've just recently been informed of uh, one of the po big ports in China has shut down because of another outbreak of COVID. And they have employee shortages as well. So we've got one great perfect storm there. So we have the demand after COVID, the demand has just spiked insanely. And that's our first problem that we have. The second problem we have is the price increases. As you all know, supply and demand. Um, for instance, you're gonna be seeing it if you haven't already. Cotton has gone up 31%. Polyester has gone up 29%. Um, Triton, which is the, the material used with you're familiar with Tervis tumblers, that kind of thing, the double insulated, triple insulated wall plastics, um, that has doubled in price. Uh, UPS and FedEx has skyrocketed. We now get estimates that, you know, stay tuned, it'll probably be 10% higher in an hour kind of thing. So these are um, all of the bad things that are going on. So what do we do? What, what do I as a promotional products distributor do to help you, my client, or you guys with your clients? So if you guys are working with anybody that part of your strategy or um, is to use the branded merchandise, this is what I'm trying to suggest. One, plan very early. And I always say that every year to everybody, but I'm not kidding this year. This is no joking. I actually got my first uh, Christmas order this week because I said, if you want a specific product, plan now, do it now. So yay. Um, the other one is if you're planning on your client gifts, if you're giving to your clients, uh, you need to, again, plan now because uh, the other important thing is gonna be be flexible. We may have the inventory today, but guess what? Five minutes from now, it might not be there. So I am advising all of my clients that please be flexible. Please plan in advance. And for those of you who may be working on projects that may incorporate branded merchandise down the road, push it further up the, the list. When you're doing your project planning, you know, a lot of times that gets pushed down. Push it up because it is gonna be a difficult year, uh, rest of the year, because we don't really know, will it improve or will it continue to be difficult? And pricing, price increases are going into effect, effective, uh, well, we've had a number June 1st, but July, we're gonna get blasted. And we're talking anywhere from a 5% increase to a 30% increase. And that's due to um, like shipping containers. People are now paying, three times the amount to ship product. So who's gonna pay it? The consumer. So guys, bad news, but good news is it forces us all to be better planners, better communicators, and that's what y'all are good at. So start communicating.
that's it. Thank you so much for the heads up. That's so helpful because I feel like a lot of people are on the fence with events now and they're like, oh, well, we'll kind of wait and see what happens. And as things start to open up, they're like, okay, let's throw an event together. And that's going to be a difficult piece of it because now we have these short timelines for events because people are starting to say, okay, well, let's just get this event going now. So it's really, really good to know. It, it really is. And uh, particularly most of the time, uh, you know, our industry has matured over the decades and it used to be, you were used to waiting four or five weeks for a branded product. Well, we've gotten so sophisticated now that we can turn, you know, three to five days and all of our factories have stopped their 24 hour rush because we can't, nobody can do, we don't have the staffing levels um, and hopefully once the unemployment thing gets settled out, we'll see some, some improvement, but plan ahead guys, please, please plan ahead. Otherwise you or your client will be very disappointed and frustrated. So Stephanie, when you say plan ahead, how you said plan early. So should people start planning today? How, I mean, is it six months out? When do you recommend that people start to Stephanie Richards point? When should people start planning? Well, again, now that we've pushed our productions are out to four to five weeks, um, you know, then we have the inventory question. And that's why I said flexibility. So I'm telling everybody, you need to think of it for six weeks or greater. Um, if you want to do specific items, we, we do have a lot of inventory shortages right now. And we have records of in, um, inventory coming in. But it's like it used to be, well, we expect the container here Friday. And then we'll find out, oh, I'm sorry, I meant Friday in two months kind of thing. Um, so I would say as soon as you can start it, because let's say you choose something and there's no inventory today, but your event is in September, but we're pretty assured it's going to come in August. You know, we're, we put the order in, we're, we're basically in line first for the new inventory. So, you know, I'm telling everybody, don't even, six weeks is your minimum. To, to really take the pressure and the stress off of everybody involved because it, it is just chaos out there. <laughs> hey, we use six months, Stephanie. That's what we would say because oh, wow. design and planning and then the whole thing. So if, like you said, if it is December, we need to do that now. Like that's yeah. our thinking, just in case, oh, just in you, case. You know, Kristen, you're awesome because, but people don't believe me when I say six months. I mean, if I say six months to people, they look at me like, so um, at least with six weeks, I can get them at least thinking about, you know, get it going. That is great. Thank you so much for giving us that heads up. I'll please keep us posted on how things are progressing and hopefully when things are improving. Hopefully. <laughs> All right. Well, I know that we have Joel listening in today. So Joel, if you happen to want to chime in and give a tip, that's great. But I know you're driving. And so I just want to at least introduce Cindy Miller Communications and thank them for being a featured expert for us. They have been with us from the beginning, basically, and they are a crisis communication company. So anytime there's any emergency or anytime, what we tell people is make sure you talk to them before there's an emergency. So I just want to do a little plug for Cindy Miller Communications and Joe Gorley. Um, and we also have Kimberly Petty pop on as well. And they're also, um, it's a great team. So I just wanted to at least give you an opportunity, Joe, if you wanted to present it, but I didn't know if you were parked or if you just wanted to... <laughs> Um, well, thank you. That was very nice of you, Stephanie. Um, I don't have a tip for today, but I just want to say that this is one of the best sessions I've, I've been to. I think I got something from every speaker, so I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thank you. And thank you for popping on. He had to be in the car today, so we appreciate you making the effort to join because I know sometimes it's easy to just 
not come. So thank you so much for joining. And um, Joel, I just wanted to open it up and just see if you wanted to just at least introduce your company. I didn't know if you um, wanted to just give a quick tip today or if you just wanted to perhaps just say your name and company so we could at least have a little intro from you. Okay, well, thanks. Um, I can introduce myself and, and uh, come up with one now. So I'm Joel Alpert. Uh, my company is Market Power and we do strategy branding and targeted marketing, personal branding, and we wash windows too. Um, the, uh, the tip that I have, I've been thinking about this a lot. Uh, when we do, we do branding and strategy as like sort of like, we, I call it a continuum. So you need to develop company strategy for like, where's the company going? And then you present it through branding and you develop your branding message and then you get it out through social media. There's a whole continuum of things that you're doing. And one of the things that I've been finding uh, that I'm gravitating towards when I do strategic sessions with folks is really dig into uh, product and service like I've never done it before. And I've always done it some, but I'm doing it a lot more lately. And it's really impacted the brand direction of the business that I'm working with. I'll give two examples real quick. Um, one is an architectural rendering firm and uh, they do really good work, uh, but they weren't doing things that I experienced myself, um, like those uh, walkthroughs when you rent a condo. Like last summer, I rented a condo with a bunch of friends in Destin, and we had, did a walkthrough, and we figured out what the space was and where the rooms were and, and what we wanted to do, and, and that's how we rented. So that, for him not to do that in his business is crazy, because that's what he does. And I tend to uh, coach folks uh, when I work with them. So I say to this owner of the company, I said, you know how to do this, the, these 3D walkthroughs. And he says, no, I don't. And I say, yes, you do. And we go back and forth and I say, listen, dude, here's what you're gonna do. I want you to put in 90 minutes, because we had a very important meeting the following day. And I said, I want you to put 90 minutes in this afternoon or tonight. And I want you to try to figure out if you can do this. And um, the next morning at 10 a.m., he not only figured out that his software could do it, but that it really was one step away from actually doing it. And I sort of had the instinct that this could be because his, his renderings were so detailed. I said, there's got to be a software that animates this. We have like a... What do you do? You put a, a, a point of view or something like that and the camera turns and you know incorporates everything and calculates it. So he wound up um, not only adding this, but within two weeks developing a, a hotel client that gave him a whole bunch of work. So, the, so that really affected his brand and that really ch changed what we did on the website. We changed how we presented his, his work. Um, and the other example is a company that does sort of like, to make it simple, like Lean Tactics Consulting. It's uh, management processes for manufacturing, and most people will call it lean. It's not quite that. But um, this guy did a lot of educational stuff in his company. Uh, it's a relatively small company. There are only seven people in the company, but they work all over the world and do these high-end consulting projects. And he, when I, when I spoke with him about the stuff that he liked doing, he kind of hated that um, he would get in and teach people how to do stuff. And then they just wouldn't implement what 
what he was, sorry, he, he would go in and consult with people and they wouldn't implement. So when I started talking to him about his engagements and his time and I'm, I'm getting to know him better, he gets all lit up when he talks about coaching folks. I'm going, there's, there's a disconnect here. Started exploring it with him and it turns out that he is better at education than he is at consulting and the education leads to better clients because he's teaching them what to do and he's developing better clients. So when you really explore product and service, you really can come up to, with great insights about the company, its strategy, its positioning, and its overall direction. That's great, Joel. Any thoughts or questions for Joel? Yes, I have a question for Joel. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's so helpful. It's really good to think about. I, I enjoyed those stories. That was, that was uh, particularly the rendering one. Yeah, I'm curious about the rendering, how he actually did that. What did he use? I don't know what software he used. I actually never even asked him what the software was, but it turns out that it was actually in the software that he owns. I said, you know, it's got to cost you guys, you know, a couple of hundred dollars per user. It's not going to be that expensive to, to, to do this. So I, I could find out what it was if you're interested. But, uh, and he, really good resource in case you need it. I'll be happy to refer him. I would totally be interested um, for our development firms that are developing apartments and communities and stuff like that, because they aren't using that. They're doing floor plans. So, yeah. Be happy to do it. I will hook you guys up. That's great. Well, thank you, Joel. I appreciate it. My pleasure. So I'm going to do a quick tip and then I will wrap us up today. So my name is Stephanie Richards and my company is SoGrow Public Relations. And we work with mostly business to business companies to help them to become a force that cannot be ignored by the media and their potential clients. So today I wanted to talk about how to become a featured columnist as a regular guest contributor to a media outlet. So we spend a lot of time writing one-off articles and pitching them to various publications. And that's a wonderful way to get exposure in front of lots of different people, lots of different audiences but it is a lot of work because for every article you write, you may have to contact a dozen editors and that takes a lot of time. So the ideal situation is to get a regular featured guest column in a publication. And that way you don't have to spend time pitching. Your content can show up every week or every day or every month, depending upon what the relationship is. And you can spend that effort making great content and not necessarily spending all the time pitching. And then you also get repeat exposure in front of these same audiences. So you really become a thought leader and these people that are reading your content, they become familiar with you. So there's so much value. It's kind of the, the goal that we always want to reach for, for clients is to get those regular columns. So how do you become a featured columnist? There are three main ways and what we're seeing more and more is that a lot of these publications are actually requiring people to pay to have these spots as guest columnists. And that is true for some of the really big publications. And some of the smaller ones are starting to open up to that idea and they're starting to charge for that. But a lot of the bigger ones like Forbes and Entrepreneur tend to have these special programs where you write content and they you have to pay and they are not cheap. <laughs> Some of them, you know, the smaller ones are probably not as expensive, but certainly the big ones are very expensive. So that is one option. And I think that if you have the budget for it, it's great because you have consistent content. And if you have 
a lot of content to put out anyways, it's a good option, but again, it is gonna cost quite a bit of money. The other is to be a non-paid contributor. And the way to find these is you look for a publication that reaches your audience and then you check their website and you see if they have a submission form for contributors. A lot of times this could be under the contact page. Sometimes they have something under their about page or they may have a section that says editorial submissions. And you basically submit a form and then they review it and they let you know. I don't think that these are as easy to get in because a lot of times it's kind of a black hole and they get so many submissions. So they're, they're worth doing, but just realize that you really have to come with your best content. And it's best if you know the editor ahead of time to help build a relationship with them to be able to get those spots. Because like I said, a lot of people apply for those. So that does bring me to my third point, and that is to build a relationship with an editor and then have them actually ask you to be a regular contributor. And this is what we tend to do for our clients. So we usually reach out to an editor with a full article draft that's already written. So we're not pitching an idea, but we say, this is an exclusive article for your publication if you're interested in it and send them the entire article so that there's no ambiguity. And then we submit those on a regular basis. So once a month, we'll just start submitting this excellent content to them. And then on numerous occasions, we'll have editors say to us, would you be willing to be a regular contributor? And what made me think about doing this tip today is that we have a client and we've landed two regular columns for them. So they have 24 articles that are guaranteed this year. And we just focused our efforts on writing those articles and putting them out there. And we're not having to spend as much time pitching. So you can pay, you can find the submissions forms where it's a non-paid thing where you don't pay and you usually don't get paid for them, but it's still good exposure. And then you can also just submit articles to editors, build a relationship with them. And then eventually you can either pitch an idea and say, I've got ideas for these articles. Would you be interested in a regular column? Or they might even ask you if your content is really great. And those are the best. That is the absolute best way to, to get featured columns. So that is my tip for today. Any thoughts or questions about the tip I said or any other tips that happened today. Just open Stephanie, up. On building the relationship with an editor, in your experience, how long does that take? So it usually starts with putting that first piece of content in front of them. And if they respond to you, they there is a positive relationship that begins there because you're helping them by providing great content. And you're also getting the benefit of, of getting the exposure. And by just being able to present regular content to them, you know, usually after two or three or four months of getting great content from you, a lot of times they will look back at that and go, hey, this is easy. I don't have to think. I don't have to go find content. This, you've proven yourself. And so it really, really can start as, as quickly as, as just a few emails, really. Stephanie. Um... When, if a client asks you um, what the ROI is, are you, are you ever able to measure uh, ROI? And if so, um, what, how, would you, how would you do that? Certainly, this is a great question. And this actually goes back to what Yana Tori was talking about. So a lot of the things that we would measure, you know, how many people are exposed to this article, that sort of thing, it's kind of similar to what happens in email where, you know, those numbers are not necessarily giving you the whole picture because 
maybe 10,000 people saw it, but how many people actually will come and, and make a purchase from that? So there are different levels of things to look at. You can look at, you know, how many people were exposed to this, but if you put something in there where there's a link back to a website, then you can really start to look into have people actually gone from that article and maybe visited your website and including something within an article like a free downloadable guide or a quiz or something where somebody can come back to your website, give you their email address, and then start to get into your um, customer journey where you can track them. Those we call them, um, you know, action points, like those points where people actually take an action are the most important things to look at. Um, you know, cause you can look at the big numbers and those are great. Like you want to see those, but when people actually start taking engagements with your company, those are where the ROI comes in. And even partnering with the sales team, cause we had um, actually the same client was on a podcast and she had somebody contact her and ask about her services. And that's huge. Like that's a, that's a huge win that we keep track of those actual sales that happen through that. I've heard it's helpful to be on Medium. Do you have any clients on Medium contributing? Not currently right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, anything that, that you can get clients on is, is helpful, but we don't have any clients on that at the moment. Stephanie, any, um, any uh, tips on an in, initial approach, like when you talk to somebody and, you, and you, you know, to not sound too hypey, but also kind of get the idea across? How do you Absolutely. So if a website has writer's guidelines, write for that publication, follow the writer's guidelines, create an excellent piece of content that is not salesy, that is purely educational. And then in your subject line, I usually put article and then colon and then, a, and then the title of the article that needs to be really, really catchy and really engaging. And generally, if an editor is intrigued by that title, they will open the email. And then in that email, I just say, I'm contacting you to see if you'd be interested in an exclusive article about, and then I put the title, obviously this would be exclusive to your publication. And then I'll put the full text of the article, copy and paste it in the email so that the editor can just scan really quickly to see if it's something they're interested in. And there's no ambiguity. I'm not pitching an idea where they have to wonder, is this article gonna be good? Or are you gonna get it in on time? It's all there for them. So if they have writer's guidelines on their website, that's the best way to do it. If they don't have writer's guidelines on their website, it would be very appropriate to ask. Um, I have some information about this particular topic. Is this something that you'd be interested in covering or do you have any writer's guidelines that you would like me to follow before I submit something? Or asking some sort of question that is a meaningful question can help you to get in their inbox and start that relationship without being salesy because you're asking a question to look for information. You just don't wanna ask a question that you can find the information for on their website because <laughs> that, that's just a waste of their time. So be careful of that. So great. Well, it is 10.59. So I'm going to wrap us up today. Thank you all so much for your wonderful tips today. Um, again, we're looking for featured experts. So I'll probably follow up with some of you and um, you know present that option for you because we'd love to have additional featured experts who can post on our forum and who share tips. So thank you for our featured experts. And remember to sign up for the July 20th one. And if you would like to present, then please do submit your tip on the Sober Marketing Council marketing um, so our marketing council website, there's a submission form there. And that way we can make sure that we, um, approve your tip and select you to, 
to present next time. So thank you all so much for coming and we will see you guys on July 20th. Thank you for listening to the SoGrow Marketing Council podcast. Want to be part of our next meeting? Visit SoGrowPR.com. That's S-O-W-G-R-O-W-P-R.com. And click on the Marketing Council tab to sign up for our next event. Until next time, keep growing. <laughs>